Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you bless our minds, our understanding, in Jesus' name, that we will grasp your words and your meaning, the meaning and the spirit behind your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. You glad to be in the house of the Lord? Wherever two or more gathered, there he is in the midst of them. Amen. Well, this morning, I wanted to continue in our short series <clears throat> regarding covenant, and uh, it's really about a well-ordered church. And we discovered quite a few things, that the well-ordered church is a scriptural church. A well-ordered church is the church that unif unifies or unites around actual scriptures and not a vision of sorts. Coming from a charismatic church background, I know that the most important thing was to, to come up with this vision that everybody can unite around and run with. But uh, what's most important is that we actually unite around Scripture. And um, we see that a covenant community is, or a well-ordered church is a church that has a scriptural governance that's very clearly laid out for us in Scriptures on what that's supposed to look like, a governmental body of elders and um, deacons. And we also see that a well-ordered church is a church that exists, or it's a, a, a house of covenants, covenants between husbands and wives, covenants between parents and children, and we see covenants between brothers and sisters. And so I've really been <clears throat> laboring, belaboring the point on covenantal relationships between brothers and sisters because that's where the rubber hits the road. Now, we are going to talk about marriage, and uh, we have talked about marriage, and that is so important because an entire society is made up of communities. Communities are made out of families. Families are constructed through marriages. And so it's important for us to know how God actually constructed uh, society. And in society, we found that there were four governments. We have self-governance, and God gave us a means to rule ourselves called conscience. And then God gave us a second government, which is family government, and God gave the father the rod of correction to rule and to govern. And then we also have civil government, and God gave those men in charge the sword to govern with. And then we have church governance, and that is where God gave the church the ability to um, discipline and even excommunicate and so rule and govern that way. Then what I would like to focus in on today is covenant friendships within a well-ordered church. Covenant friendships within a well-ordered church. And you might say relationships in general. And as Dave read to us that parable of the ten virgins, we have this one message that comes from Jesus, and that is be ready at all times. Be ready at all times. There is never a moment where you go on vacation from being a Christian. There's never a moment that you take leave from being ready, whether it be the fact that you are going to Him or whether it is that He's coming for you. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is that you are ready. So the parable of the ten virgins just proclaims that message. Be ready all the time. And that is why I want to talk to you about the scriptural strategies for times we're living. Interesting times we are living in, and we need to understand what the Bible says regarding how to have a strategy for the world that you live in. You know, we talked about this so many times, that you could have been born at any time in history, right? But God, in His wisdom, decided for you to live now. In His wisdom, decided for you to be in the middle of everything that's happening right now. That's why these are good times. These are wonderful times. Why? Because you are here. There's a lot of hope because God decided for you to be here. That means He has something for you at this time in this place because of what's going on. Don't ever just turn a blind eye to everything going on around you. You are not supposed to become, I love the Amish, but you're not supposed to be sipped out of this world, you are in this world even though you're not of this world. And the reason God put you in this world is why? We talked about it last week because you are to be the light. How are you the light? Well, you're going to hold forth the word of truth. That is what you fight for, the word of truth. Now, let's say two unsaved people get into an argument. And the one says, this is what happened, and the other one says, that's what happened. For you to fight for truth is for you to fight for scriptures, no matter what's going on. <laughs> People are always going to, everybody's going to see everything from their perspective. And your reality lives within the parameters of your perspective. Truth to you is only what you see. Truth, your truth is everything you see. That is your truth. But what you are holding out is God's Word. That's what it said. That's what it said in the Bible. Remember last week we talked about it? It says holding forth. You have to be shining lights. You are like the luminaries. You are like the stars. You are like the sun, like the moon in the sky. Especially when it goes dark, you shine bright. How? Holding forth the Word of truth. This is the truth that you are fighting for and standing for. The Word of God. All right? We get into a lot of different things that's happening in this world, and, and, and I'm not saying we should be oblivious. We should be very aware of what's going on, but we hold forth the word of truth, and that is how we are the light. That is how we are the light. I just realized <clears throat> during the abortion issue, you know, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, the one thing that we have to be careful over is that if you find somebody who's agreeing with you on an issue like abortion, you're not, to, you're not to hold hands with these people and walk through life with the people just because you agree on one issue. You follow what I'm saying? Very often we go like, oh yeah, we're all in it together. We're all in it together. We're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We overturn Roe v. Wade. And the next thing is you holding hands and embracing people who have absolute aberrant theology who hate God, you go like, oh, I don't know you're a transgender. Did you know how many transgenders were going and fighting for abortion? So you, you can't just grab a hold of hand, hands of everybody and, and unite around an issue and think that you are holding forth the word of truth. 
the word of truth is from ABC all the way to XYZ, right? And those are the people that you unite around. Now, it's wonderful for others to fight with you on an issue like abortion. All I'm saying is, don't be deceived. You're not on the same team when you see the big picture. Are you following what I'm saying? Every time election comes around, you have people gather into groups. And when the election's over, you go like, wait a minute. I didn't know you hated the Bible. <laughs> I thought we were on the same team. <laughs> and people flood into groups, especially churches, and they don't realize that you just flooded your church with the unregenerate because you thought you were on the same team. So it's important for us to look at how important it is for us to always be ready. That is why I want to talk to you about scriptural strategies for the times we live in. How am I supposed to respond during these times? Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. We're going to walk through it. It says, Now, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, verse chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 3 through 14. As, what did I say? Excuse me, Matthew 24, verse 3 <laughs> through 14. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the sign of the end of the age? So I always used to read that as in one question. But I realized there are three different questions that are being asked of Jesus right here. Jesus, when will these things be? These things referring to the subject matter of that whole chapter, which is Jerusalem and the temple that will be brought down. What is the sign of your coming when you come to judge? And what is the sign of the end of the age? So Jesus is about to lay out the signs to look for and... Um, He's going to teach us the responses we also have to have when we see these signs. And these times uh, are not necessarily referring to all the same time because there are three questions asked. Because Jesus included here near future events and far future events. He included in his answer in this chapter near future events for those he was speaking to directly and far future events 2,000 years later and more. All right, so don't lump all of what he's saying here into the same moment. The near future events had to do with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70. That's the context of that chapter. But the far future events has to do with Christ's return, which is what we're looking for and when he comes to judge the unbelieving world. So nevertheless, I wanted to put that into, your, into the back of your mind <clears throat> so that as we read through this, you don't jump on the bandwagon but uh, consider all of that, all right? So let's go to verse 4. He says, as he answers them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. Now, whether it be the time that he was speaking to those who asked him the question, or whether it be you and me today living in this world that we now know, um, he's telling everybody, take heed that no one deceives you. Could you tell your neighbor, don't be deceived? 
Okay, and the reason Jesus is saying that is because many will be. The question is, how do I take heed? How am I going to make sure that I am not deceived? And we will answer that a little later. Verse 5, he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Don't be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. But the end is not yet. So you're going to see all these things happen. Jesus is saying the end is not yet. In other words, these are not signs showing when He will be coming back to judge. These are signs saying that He will come back to judge. So when you see these things happen, no, He will be judging. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings or the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to, up to tribulation and kill you. And so they were. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And so we are. Verse 10, and then many will be offended. And yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. They're offended in multiple ways. As you know, people today are so thin-skinned, you can hardly say anything. And then, well, that's offensive. It's become the cardinal sin of our culture is offending anybody else. How do you offend them? By having a different perspective. That's how you offend them. Many will be offended. The people's commentary of the New Testament reads this. Quote, they shall, then shall many be offended. Many shall stumble and fall rather than suffer for Christ. The half-hearted always do. I want to give you an example of what that looks like in reality. How many of you know that the Southern Baptist Convention is just, you know, many splits taking place? And over the last five years, especially when you put a new issue on the table, whether it be the LGBT or whatever it is, you see people always, there's always a division, right? So now you have the liberal wing of the Presbyterian Church and you have the conservative wing of the Presbyterian. You have the liberal wing of Lutheranism. You have the conservative wing of, and the liberal wing's always supporting, all are welcome. They fly the flag and they're always into that kind of thing and the conservative guys are not. So really, every denomination has now become two denominations, left and right, liberal and conservative, not just politically, but also theologically. Many aberrant views have infiltrated the church, whether it be open theology or open theism, or whether it be universalism, where Jesus died for the whole world, therefore the whole world is saved, even if they're Muslim and they reject Christ, they're still saved. Universalism has infiltrated everywhere. And this is why Jesus was saying, watch out that you do not be deceived. He says, many will be offended. And he says, and the commentary says, because they stumble over Christ because they refuse to suffer for Him. So we have denominations that are currently caving under the cultural pressure. They are stumbling. The word stumble and the word offense right here is exact same word. 
So when it says don't stumble or don't be offended, it's meaning the same thing. Or when it says that person was offended, it's saying that that person stumbled. And so here we see that people stumble over Jesus. Because they will not suffer for Him. Or better said yet, they love themselves and therefore they refuse to suffer for Christ. They do not love Him. That's why they can't suffer for Him. Or because they love themselves so much, they can't suffer for Him. I'm going somewhere, so please follow me. So it says, and many will be offended. Many will stumble because they love themselves or they don't love God. And then it says, but they will betray one another. There will be a lot of betraying going on. And they will hate one another. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Again, the question is, how do I ensure I'm not deceived? We will answer that in a moment. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. People's love will grow cold. Husbands' love for their wives, the wives' love, wives love for their husbands will grow cold. Parents' love for their children will grow cold. The, the children's love for their parent will grow cold. Family members' love for one another, as opposed to covenantal relationships where love remains strong. People's love for God grows cold. Their reverence for God disappears. And then verse 13, it says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the, earth will, uh, then the end will come. So in a nutshell, just to put it in a nutshell version, the question that was posed to Jesus is, when will this happen? What will be the sign of you coming back? And what will be the sign of the end of this age? Jesus answered, he tells him to look out for wars and rumors of wars. Look out for earthquakes, persecution of the Christians. Many Christians will be uncommitted. The moment persecution rises, they turn from their commitment because of the pressure. Many will be offended They'll, have, they'll be thin-skinned. You can't talk to them. Nobody can talk to them. They fall apart in public. But not just do they get offended by absolutely anything and everything, but the moment Jesus or Scripture is mentioned, they stumble. They always trip over Jesus, His position, His word, the ultimate, the inerrancy of it, the sufficiency of it. They trip over that. They can't handle it. He says, so many will stumble and be offended because of him. He is the word made flesh. And then he says, false teachers and the false teachings will increase. False teachers and false teachings will increase. So in this portion of scripture, Jesus also tells us how we ought to respond when we see all of this happen. How ought we to respond when we see all of this happen? Okay, I want to just insert something here. Here's one response that I don't have in my notes, but um, in the first year class, for those of you who are doing first year Bible school, we established two things or a truth about two different things, and that is persecution and heresy. 
both those you'll find in scriptures was God ordained. Both of those are God ordained. Dave and I were reading yesterday how it was it was given to them that they may suffer for Christ. It was granted them. It was a privilege that they may suffer for Christ. But here's my point. Persecution has a refining work within the seats and the pulpits. The more persecution, the quicker people run out. So it's purifying the seats when there's persecution, correct? Do you understand what I'm saying? So persecution is not a bad thing. It just shows you who's left, (laughs) you know, the real. Anybody that's not truly regenerated, anybody that's not truly saved, anybody that doesn't truly love God, why would they endure persecution for the Christianity that they don't believe in, really? So God allowed persecution throughout the ages because it purified the body. But then, He says, but there must be factions amongst you. The word factions is differences or heresies. There must be heresies amongst you so that the real can be, can be um, identified. Because all you need to do to know who's real is throw a heresy in front of everybody. So, okay, let's see who bites, right? So there must be factions, many translations translated as heresies. There must be heresies amongst you. Why? Because it, it refines what we believe about that specific issue. If you remember, for those of you that did first year and those of you doing it now, we talked about, let's say, for instance, Marcion. Marcion comes around and he says that Jesus is greater than God the Father. So, he altered Jesus' position. Then after him comes Arius, and Arius says Jesus is less than God the Father. He's not divine because he was created by God. How could he be equal to God? And every time an issue like that came to the fore, the church had to go like, what does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? And they refined what they believed about that issue. Are you with me? So when heresy comes, like for instance, what is a woman? (laughs) Well, we better figure it out, don't we? (laughs) Suddenly we have to figure out, well, what is a woman? Because churches started embracing the idea that anybody can be you, ladies. And by the way, it took Bruce Jenner one year to become woman of the year. In one year, he did better than any woman in this world. It's amazing how he could just excel all of you in one year. (laughs) My point is just, when a a heresy comes, it's good for you. Why? Because it refines helps you refine what Scripture truly says about that issue. So you'll see. Persecution and heresy has never gone away because persecution purifies the seats. Heresy purifies the message that you truly believe in or what the Bible really says about that issue. So this is our response when we see these things happen. So when you see the world going crazy around you, what do you do? You dive deeper into scriptures. You become good at understanding what does God say about this issue, not what do I think about the issue, what does God say about this issue, and you become good at articulating it. 
You become good at sharing it. Right? Not necessarily emotionally, just sharing it. Like if somebody had to come and ask you, well, what is a woman? You go like, well, of course a woman is a woman. You know, like, well, no, can you say, what does the Bible say she is? Right? And so I'm just using that example because that's the issue we just all dealt with. So Jesus answered them. He says, wars and rumors of war, earthquakes, persecutions of Christians. Christians, many Christians will be uncommitted. They will receive, they will, uh, persecution will rise and they'll be gone. Many will be offended. They will trip over Christ, trip over His divinity. The false teachers and their false teachings will increase throughout time. And in this portion of Scripture, then Jesus also tells us how to respond very clearly. He says, first, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in verse 4 and 5. Then He says, don't be troubled. In verse 6. And then he says, don't be offended. Don't stumble. Don't give up. In verse 13. If you endure to the end, you'll be saved, he says. So let's answer the question, well, if I should not be deceived, how can I ensure that I, I won't be deceived? How do you know you're not deceived? How do you know you're not deceived? 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It gives you the guardrails. Tells you very clearly. This is where you this is the lane you're supposed to be on. It says, I have applied all these things to myself. In other words, I have become your example on how to do this. And not just me, but also Apollos. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. I wanted you to see how this works. That you may learn by us and our example not to go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. If you go beyond what is written, great chance you will be deceived. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't go, be, don't go less either. Pretend like it's not there. But don't go beyond because you think you know better. Don't be troubled. Don't be offended. Don't be deceived. So my question is, that was kind of informative. I've got my list of things signs that Jesus said, these are the signs that you will see. Uh, and then, here's how you respond to these signs. Don't be deceived, don't be troubled, and don't be offended. But the question is, are there any more signs of the times for us to look out for? The answer is yes. <laughs> Actually, it's all over, but let me read to you 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 5. It says, you should know this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Now, some theologians teach that Paul here did not have in mind the final days before Christ's return. That's not what he was saying, but that his concern was for his own day, his own day the day he was living in. And these theologians will mark the ministry of Jesus as the beginning of the last days in Paul's mind. It was a new age. It was a time of grace. God spoke to us through the apostles, I mean, through the prophets in times gone by. Now, he speaks to us, the Bible says, through Jesus, his son. It's a brand new age. These are the last days. There's no age on 
there's no age with humanity after this one. This is the last days. There were ages before. Those weren't the last days. These, since Jesus, are now the last days. So many theologians view it that way, that the ministry of Jesus begins the last days. And that would mean since Paul penned this, since he penned that from the time of him penning it until now, we are in the last days until he comes again. So he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Verse 2, for people will love only themselves. The commentary I read explained the first statement as, all the other end-time lifestyles that people give themselves to will be a result of self-love. Whether it be gender dysphoria, it's a result of self-love. Abortion is a result of self-love. Lawlessness is a result of self-love. Disobedience to parents, self-love, etc. And this is because they love self because they don't love God. They are consumed with self only. And I'm reminded of, if you remember back in 1986, some of you weren't even born then, Whitney Houston came out with, the greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. You guys remember that song? Loved it. Come on, so did you, didn't you? <laughs> but I mean, listen to the words. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Of all. <clears throat> so, humanity is on this trajectory, and it's not necessarily changing as far as I can see in scriptures, but people are going to just fall more and more in love with self, more and more in love with their own opinions, more and more in love with their own views and their own truths. And as they do so, they're falling more and more out of love or reverence with an almighty God. They are constantly turning themselves into that God called an idol or that idol called self-God. It says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. So to Timothy, this may have been a shock to think of children not obeying. Like, they would be disobedient? Today, we are shocked when we see an obedient child. What? Did I just see that child act respectfully? <laughs> it's amazing. Generally speaking, I'm not talking about our church family. They will consider nothing sacred, the Bible says. Paul says they will consider nothing sacred in the last days. He's saying to us, here are the list of things that are already true and becoming more and more true because everything is a seed. Sin does not decrease when you give yourself to it. It increases when you give yourself to it. So these are the things that were true then, more true after, very true now, and will be incredibly true, most true in our near future. They will consider nothing sacred. Marriage is no longer sacred. It's already true. Sex is no longer sacred. Already true. God's Word is no longer sacred. Already true. Many people's offerings they bring to God, is no, offering is no longer a, a sacred act. 
Because to some, their offering makes them great instead of making God great. My offering is not about me, folks. My offering is about the Lord. My serving is not about me, but my serving is about God. Then, in verse 3, it says, they will be unloving and unforgiving. I'm zoning in on this. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. Even in households, people are becoming increasingly unloving and unforgiving. Never have, you know, in the past hundred years, we have seen the fatherlessness increase, right? An increase and increase, fatherlessness. But do you know what's on the increase and the sharp increase? Is mothers abandoning their children. Not just talking about abortion. I'm talking about walking out of their families. And so this whole issue, this whole idea that they will be unloving and unforgiving is becoming increasingly true. Then it says they will slander others and have no self-control. They themselves have no self-control while slandering everybody else. I mean, the word... The word hypocrite has become part of every sentence, <laughs> every conversation, because people will slander others while they themselves justify their own act of the same. Then it says they will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll hate what is good. Today we see our laws are protecting what is evil and are outlawing what is good. Verse 4, it says, they will betray their friends. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will love pleasure rather than God. We have to, and I'm not going to talk about this, but I just want to put this thought out there. We have to start thinking through the concept of pleasure. And where, what is it and where ought it to exist in our lives? And make sure we don't raise our children on pleasure. Because everybody has, can max out on their capacity for pleasure. And then what? Then what do they do? When they are completely done having fun, now what? So we have to consider what pleasure is and biblically define where it's supposed to fit within our lives because it can be extremely destructive. It is okay for you to say no to your kids. No more pleasure. Start doing chores. <laughs> Grounded for 30 years. Go, do chores. <laughs> and you will end up happy. Give them to pleasure. <clears throat> now, of course, I'm exaggerating, right? Give them to pleasure. And you will find an extremely bitter child. We've always had, ha we've always had kids commit uh, excuse me, always had kids being picked on, right? Now they commit suicide when they get picked on. Like what is, what is gonna, what's gonna ray, awry? We'll talk about that. That's a little bit more psychological. We want to stick to the word here. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure. They will love pleasure rather than God. Earlier on, we see that they love self rather than God. Now we see they love pleasure rather than God. 
In other words, to these people, covenant friendship, friendships means nothing. They'll betray one another. Church is something they will do if there is nothing else for them to do, nothing else more exciting for them to do on a Sunday morning. The Word of God is something they will read if there's nothing else for them to watch on TV. Hear me, they have a greater love for controversy than they have for truth. They have a greater love for controversy than what they have for Scripture. Worship is something they will do if they feel like it on any specific Sunday. The work of God or ministry is something they will do if it's enjoyable and if it fits it's their fancy. Verse 5, it says, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will act religious, but they are not godly. And then it says this, Stay away from them. Can you tell your neighbor, stay away from them? Stay away from them. Talking about the Christian atheist. The Christian atheist is the one who proclaims Christ but he acts like Christ doesn't exist. So practical responses that we are to, to embrace and think about, <clears throat> and I have four, and they'll come quick, so keep your thinking caps on, but practical uh, responses that we need to know the Bible calls us to in the time in which we live. we living in the last days. And again, the Bible's silent as to exactly when that is, but we are told that we're living in the dark last days, and whether it be Jesus coming for me or me going to Jesus, you know, we have to number our days. That's a wise thing to do. And so we have to always know, like the, story, like the parable of the, five, the ten versions, we have to be ready at all times. We have to be ready at all times. And to be ready at all times, we need to know how to respond today to the things going on right now. If you want to be ready, it means you know how to respond now. That's what it means to be ready. So, practical responses to the times we live in. Number one, because we're in the last days, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Luke eleven twenty one. And 28 says, now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Look up. Don't be downcast. Be up. Gill's exposition commentary on verse 28 says this, and when the first of these signs appear, then look up and lift up your heads. Be cheerful and pleasant. Do not hang down your heads, but erect them. Put on a cheerful countenance and look upwards for where your help will come. Don't say the good old days. These are exciting days. Stop wishing we were still like the 40s. These are wonderful days. You're training up. The very, the very weapons that God will use in this generation if you're raising children. It's a great time to raise children because this world needs them. I don't say God needs them. God will use them. God's going to do whatever He's going to do anyhow. But we get to enlist our children into that battle. And we have enlisted. That's why we are a
covenant community of believers. So the first is rejoice, rejoice. Second, because we are in the last days, choose your relationships wisely. Because you're in the last days, choose your covenant relationships wisely. 2 Timothy 3, 4 and 5 says, they will betray their friends, so watch out. Verse 5 says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them stay away from, make them godly stay away from these. <clears throat> so there are people to stay away from in the last days, and there are covenant friendships to build in the last days and build them at all cost. Number three, because we're in the last days, Encourage your covenant relationships regularly to number their days. Encourage your covenant relationships regularly to do what? To number their days. To number their days. I feel like I'm always telling people, hey, number your days. <laughs> you must have heard me say that a thousand times, right? Number your days. I feel like I've done so many funerals in just one year. Number your days. When I looked up, you know, when Whitney Houston came out with Greatest Love of All, I couldn't believe it. It was 1986. I felt like it was two years ago. <laughs> 1986. Um, I was in eighth grade. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> wow. Number your days. Charlie, they come quickly. Because we are in the last days, encourage your covenant friendships. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15 and 18, it says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, this is directly from God to you. We who are still living when, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in, a cloud, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. What's he talking about? All right, what we might call the rapture or calling away. But anyway, when we get to see Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Whether you pass away and see him or whether you're going to go and be with him, he's talking about him coming for his own. Verse 18, the very next statement, it says, because of this, or so, encourage each other with these words. That is why I'm saying that here in a well-ordered New Covenant, uh, uh, New Testament well believers, Covenant believers, uh, what this looks like is that we are constantly encouraging each other, like count your days. Number your days. Be ready. Be one of the wise virgins. <laughs> you don't encourage somebody by saying, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You can say that, but not without saying, number your days. <laughs> right? Because we, like we like to feel like we're encouragers. We encourage people. I mean, Joel is an encourager. My point is, number your days. 
encourage them unto fruitfulness in this life, unto God. Encourage them towards the arms of their Father. <clears throat> and then finally, number four, because we're in the last days, prioritize your covenant friendships weekly. Prioritize your covenant friendships. I said earlier on, you know, like when you, when you buy a car, <clears throat> I didn't say this, I'm saying it now. When you buy a car, suddenly you see the same car on the road all the time, right? Like, wow, everybody's driving this car. And the same thing is true, like when you go to the scriptures on a subject and you go like, actually, it's everywhere, right? So we saw that we have to choose our friends wisely because it says in the last days, people will betray each other. We see that we need to encourage our covenant relationships regularly to uh, number their days. Why? Because it says, so encourage each other with these words that we will meet him in the air. And then number four, we see because in the last days, <clears throat> we are in the last days, we have to prioritize our covenant friendships. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, in response to all he has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other. And in doing good, verse 25, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of His coming again is drawing near. There it is again, talking about the end times and Jesus coming for us, telling us what to do. Since Jesus is coming for you, encourage your covenant friendships. Get together. Have fellowship. Break bread together. Let's be hospitable towards one another. And that is a covenant community. I see a church community that is enthusiastic about the times that God has predestined them to live in. You're not a victim. God didn't turn you into a victim by putting you into this generation. <laughs> God didn't make you a victim by putting you in this, in this nation or in this state. <laughs> no, you're not a victim. You're chosen. You're the prize. That's why He put you here. I see a community surrounded and committed to God by committing to His Word. How else can you be committed to God except for by being committed to His Word? I see a church community prioritizing God's plans and His purposes instead of their own. Because they love Him as opposed to loving self only. I see a group of carefully selected friends, covenant friendships, encouraging each other in God's promises and God's warnings. Encouraging them to be wise by numbering their days. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray above all else that we will take heed to every one of your warnings. That we will not be offended. We will not stumble over your word. We will not be deceived. We will not love self. We will love you. We will be enthusiastic over the fact that you have decided that we will be in this generation, in this place, in these families. 
We commit to your word. And we prioritize your work. We prioritize your people. We bring a cup of cold water to the least of these, your children. And Lord, that we will serve because we love you. That we will love because we have been loved by you. That we will forgive because we have been forgiven for more. That we will care for others because we have been cared for. We are not victims, but we have been blessed because we are chosen. We are a chosen priesthood in the new covenant. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word? Amen.